Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. Sunday night football, the Seattle Seahawks are taking on the one and three Minnesota Vikings. The Seahawks looking to go to five and oh for the first time in franchise history. And joining me to talk about this upcoming matchup with the Vikings, he's an NFL draft writer and scout for Blue Chip Scouting, contributor to the Climb the Pocket podcast, part of the Daily Norseman, the Vikings community on SB Nation. Tyler Fornes, welcome to the show. Appreciate you having me, man. I feel like I've had it pounded into my head, Tyler, that all this past week that the Seahawks are 6-0 and against the Vikings since Russell Wilson arrived in Seattle back in 2012. Has that stat, has that made it back to Vikings fans this week? I wouldn't necessarily say this week, but we know that the Seahawks have been a thorn in our sides for quite some time. And even in the the mid-2000s with Matt Hasselbeck and Sean Alexander, there was a game in like 2004 where there was just a, a ridiculous like 17-point Seahawks comeback in the Metrodome. <laughs> and they've just been a, a big pain for us. And it doesn't seem like we can do everything right and something will just go wrong in the end. I mean, Blair Walsh. <laughs> right. Last yeah, I, year. I, I was thinking Blair Walsh's name just right before you said it, too. When when something can go wrong and it does. And yet we still the Seahawks still picked up Blair Walsh after that uh, after that season. So that was curious. At the end of the day, Blair Walsh has an absolutely phenomenal leg. And his first uh, year in the NFL in 2012, he hit 10 50 yard field goals. And he had uh, over like a 93 kick, uh, field goal percentage. You're going to take a, a shot on a guy like that, just like every uh, head coach is going to want to take a shot on that big armed quarterback, hoping they can fix him. And now when I blame the fact that Russell Wilson does not have an MVP vote, I send that blame to Blair Walsh because the Seahawks, the only time they didn't make it to the playoffs in, in Russell Wilson's career was that season. And I, I'm just fully convinced that if they at least get into the playoffs that year, Russell Wilson gets at least one vote for that year that Tom Brady won it. It's it's kind of ridiculous that Russell Wilson doesn't have a vote. But if you look back on all the Seahawks teams uh, from years past, the Legion of Boom was the dominating story coming out of Seattle every year. Russell Wilson was great, but you didn't necessarily think from an outsider's perspective like myself that Russell Wilson was winning all those games. It was defense. It was the running game. Russell Wilson was doing some amazing things, but you never really thought he was the most valuable guy on that team when in reality he was. So from a national perspective, I, I get it, but it's a travesty. I do feel like, though, that the national perspective is starting to turn the corner now. This And, and a big part of that is because it has been Russell Wilson's team now for so many years. And now through these first few weeks, we've really seen him I mean, his the fact that he's throwing more on first and second down now, he's not really attempting that many more passes than he has been in previous years. But because they're throwing early, they're able to put more points up on the board in in these games. And so I, I'm kind of curious, just as a Vikings fan going into this game, you know, what is your uh, I, I guess that just has to be kind of the biggest concern with how this defense is going to be able to handle Russell Wilson, right? The biggest concern is the defense doing anything but Yannick Ngaku is probably going to get a sack that's that's what he's been doing the last three weeks he seems to be really getting comfortable in this defense mm-hmm. but these corners they're young they're inexperienced uh, Anthony Harris after being PFF's number one safety the last two years has been playing like crap Harrison Smith is still Harrison Smith but you're missing Anthony Barr on the second level you're still missing Daniel Hunter 
they have nothing at defensive tackle. You and I could probably do a better job than what they're putting out right now. And it's just an inexperienced defense and they're kind of relying on the offense to win the games. And it's, it's really tough to see when you have a supposed defensive guru, Mike Zimmer running the team. Well, you know, and I think Seattle fans are probably sympathetic to a certain extent with uh, having a defensive coach like Pete Carroll as well. You know, it's interesting to hear you uh, kind of upset with that middle of the defense with a defensive tackle like Damon Snacks Harrison out there on the market. Seattle picks him up and yet, you know, they have Puna Ford, they have Jaron Reed. So he's kind of the the third guy as that run stopping defensive tackle. And yet uh, it sounds like Minnesota fans are very unhappy with their ability to to have those big guys up front in the middle of their defense. One of the tough parts is our big guy, Michael Pierce, who we signed in free agency, our only real free agent signing decided to opt out due to COVID-19 and all the respect for him in the world for making what he believes is the right decision for him and his family. But it left a huge hole in that defense. The way that Mike Zimmer's 4-3 defense works, you have that run-stuffing, gap-eating defensive tackle, the big boy, uh, to be able to eat up multiple blocks, freeing the linebackers like Eric Kendricks to shoot the gaps and get those real nice run fits. And then you can hopefully free up uh, Hunter and Ngakwe to be able to get single on or single blocks on the outside. It's it's really tough when you don't have him. And then the three technique has been a a dumpster fire ever since Shree Floyd had that uh, career ending knee injury where the surgeon just uh, cut through a nerve on a basic knee scope. It's it's been really tough and they just haven't had an answer. So it has been frustrating. It does feel like some bad luck because I know when the schedules came out, I looked at this game against the Vikings and I thought, you know, with Seattle's trouble at offensive line historically, I looked at that Vikings defense. And yeah, I know I knew at the time Everson Griffin was still a free agent at the time. I was hoping Everson Griffin would come to Seattle. He ends up going to Dallas. Uh, but it, I, I looked at that defensive line for the Vikings as you know, a really strong matchup uh, against the Seattle team. And now it sounds like, you know, whether through bad luck, I mean, you did get Ngakwe through the trade, but Daniil Hunter being out, that is a huge hit to this Vikings defense. Oh, it absolutely is. He's kind of not necessarily the heart and soul, but he's like the meat and potatoes of this defense. He does so much on the outside, not only being a great pass rusher, but also being really good in the run game, which is something that Mike Zimmer demands of his edge players and missing him. And then Anthony Barr, who's so vital. It doesn't really show up in the stat sheet, but him. I feel like with Anthony Barr, every game against the Seahawks, I, I feel like I curse his name at least two or three times. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Vikings fans hate him because Viking fans uh, sometimes don't understand what really good is because it's not flashy. But Anthony Barr does those little things. He clogs up passing lanes. He's a really good and instinctive blitzer. And he's pretty good in coverage, too. But they just think, oh, he doesn't have the sacks. He doesn't have the interceptions. He doesn't have those flash plays. But if you don't hear his name, he's doing his job. But his lack of presence on that defense is really going to play a big factor, especially when you have a guy like Greg Olson. And if they start sending uh, Chris Carson uh, to do some uh, pass routes, he's going to be missed and you're going to feel it. So the good news is you do have Harrison Smith still and Eric Kendricks, I I feel like is one of the best linebackers out there. Oh, absolutely. Um, You've got two of the best line middle linebackers in the game 
uh, with Bobby Wagner and Eric Hendricks playing on Sunday Night Football. You talk about those two guys and a guy like Darius Leonard. They're probably top three and you can organize them however you want. But it's it's pretty universal that those are your top three guys. And okay, if I get to organize them, then I'll put Bobby Wagner on top. I I don't blame you, man. <laughs> I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have a big argument with Wagner, Leonard or Kendricks on top or a two or three. They're all fantastic yeah, players. Are. Yeah. And. Kendricks, I think, is going to miss Barr. They were teammates at UCLA. They only had one season apart between college and pro because Kendricks was drafted in 15 and Barr in 14. And it's really up to Kendricks to make that big difference in the middle of the field. So I was really surprised with this stat, Tyler. When I looked at football outsiders here this past week, they have the Vikings down as having a top 10 passing defense. And so to hear your concern... It doesn't match up with, you know, what the what the numbers guys say at Football Outsiders. I enjoy analytics and I think it has its place, but I think one of the tough parts about the pass defense for the Vikings is you can't ignore how incredibly effective the Green Bay Packers were in that week one game. Week two, uh, the Colts did a lot of their damage running the football and week three, the Titans did a lot of their damage on running the football and capitalizing off of turnovers and over a consistency. I can see why they would be ranked that high, but when you watch the film, it's it's bad and you can tell that in weeks two and three, the Colts and Titans just didn't do enough exploitation of that Vikings defense. Hmm. And then against Houston, they showed some signs of improvement. Jeff Gladney's looking more like the college player after having that meniscus injury uh, just after the season last year. There's hope. And this is, was always going to be a retooling year with 2021 being the hope for making a real Super Bowl run. But 10 just feels too high when you watch this team week in and week out. What's been your take on a guy like Holton Hill so far this season? Just listening to some of the Vikings fans this past week, listening to some of the, the Vikings podcasts out there, it seems like there's a lot of frustration going his direction. Oh, there absolutely is. Uh, whenever I watch the All-22 with Holton Hill, it just seems like he gets himself out of position. Xavier Rhodes is PFF's number one cornerback right now. Last year in Minnesota, <laughs> really? he was... Yeah. Wow. Last year in Minnesota, he was an absolute disaster. Right. But when you watched him, none of it was physical. It was all it, him just getting behind on plays and having to play catch up, uh, just getting himself out of position. It wasn't that he lost any athleticism. He lost any of that top end speed. No, he was just getting him. He was overthinking things and getting himself into bad situations. And I think Holton Hill's kind of the same way. You can tell he has talent. He flashes it but he's never consistent. And I really wonder if Zimmer is making these guys think too much. So they're reacting instead of being proactive. Well, I did hear Zimmer this past week. It sounds like there's a lot of hope going into this game plan because I heard Zimmer talked about Russell Wilson saying how accurate of a passer he was. And he says, hopefully he's not that accurate on Sunday night. So is that the game plan going into Sunday? Just uh, Zimmer hoping that Russ is off on his accuracy? One of the interesting things that was a big talker here in Minnesota during the offseason was the hiring of Dom Capers. Capers was the Packers defensive coordinator for nine years, runs the three, four, runs a lot of exotic blitzes. And the Vikings fans were wondering, are we going to be seeing some three, four looks, some exotic blitzes? 
uh, this season. We really haven't seen a whole lot of it yet. I'm wondering if he's finally going to start incorporating some of those elements to try and confuse Russell Wilson, especially when you have dynamite weapons like Lockett and Metcalf on the outside. You're going to have to be creative to try and stop that because I don't think the corners are going to be able to do it down in, down out. Well, it could be a big game then for Greg Olson because it does seem like that's where Russell Wilson tends to go uh, on on some of those big time throws that he needs. And with Anthony Barr being out, I guess I could see that being a concern for the Vikings defense. Absolutely. Eric Wilson is the, the guy who replaced him and he's capable, but he's not Anthony Barr. Well, Tyler, now that we've taken a look at the Vikings defense, let's move on over to the offense and I have to say, based on what I heard from Vikings fans this past week, if the Vikings lose this game, it sounds like Vikings fans could be pushing to move the team toward full-on rebuild mode. And we'll talk about that, Tyler, coming up next. Talking to Tyler Forness of the Daily Norseman. He's a contributor to the Climb the Pocket podcast, part of that Vikings community on SB Nation. Tyler, listening to Vikings fans after the first three weeks, I know it can be frustrating, especially when you see the Bears playing well, when you see the Packers playing well. But man, that's really seemed to get Vikings fans down because I heard them talking about how they wouldn't be that sad if the Vikings just, you know, tanked for the rest of the season, got the number one draft pick. And I don't know if that would be to replace Kirk Cousins or just to have a number one pick to, to help, you know, with, build that franchise a little bit better. What's going on in Minnesota right now? It's a lot of frustration with Kirk Cousins. Now, Kirk Cousins is a really good quarterback. He, he has a good arm. He's very accurate. He overall makes really good decisions. The problem is he's too much of a perfectionist. And when he's bad, he's really bad. And there isn't a whole lot of uh, like balance between that. It's either really good or really bad. And the bad has just decimated this team. And you kind of saw it against the Colts. You saw it in the Bears game last year when Stefan Diggs ended up leaving the team and got fined $200,000. And with what this roster was, it felt like it was just a capable quarterback away. And Cousins presented that. And then it just didn't work out. And fans here are just getting incredibly frustrated. This franchise hasn't had a franchise quarterback since Dante Culpepper. And that was only for five years in the early 2000s. When you have a guy like Trevor Lawrence who possesses some similar traits to what Patrick Mahomes brings to the table as far as just elite type athleticism, strong arm, makes every throw, it can be very appealing to just be like, you know what? We stink. Let's just go get him. <laughs> San Francisco. I, I, and I saw some people calling for San Francisco to trade for Kirk Cousins. So uh, that, and, and maybe that could end up making sense. I think it does make sense. Kyle Shanahan coached him for uh, Cousins first two years. Cousins does the things in a rhythm kind of passing game that Kyle Shanahan loves. And he he's a creative enough play caller where he can minimize those weaknesses that Cousins has. And with how strong the rest of that roster is when it's fully healthy. It's an improvement over Jimmy Garoppolo, and it's probably the only way the Vikings are going to get out of that contract. That will be interesting to watch. You know, I, I think as a Seahawks fan, I would just be happier with San Francisco holding on to Garoppolo. I would be, too, if I were you. 
You know, when you talk about bad Kirk Cousins, though, it sometimes shows up in these primetime games, Tyler. He has a bit of a reputation when it comes to primetime, and and maybe it's just unique to big games. Is that a concern going into Sunday? I'm not really worried about it. I think he kicked that uh, to the curb last year. Yeah. Now, when you look at that Seattle game, the Vikings lost that game, but that wasn't on Kirk Cousins. That was more on the defense not being able to get stops when it needed to. Obviously, Cousins had that uh, fourth down incompletion, but Cousins played lights out. And when you look at his 0-8 Monday Night Football record, it's not necessarily on him. He's averaging like 250 yards, multiple touchdowns, and less than an interception per game. And his defenses are allowing like 30 to 35 points a game. So it's it's a combination. I think Cousins kind of overcame that a little bit when he beat the New Orleans Saints in the wild card round, proving that, hey, I can win the big game. Um, so I'm not really worried about his performance uh, in Seattle, especially because I'm not really sure where Seattle's going to come with the pass rush. They, they really haven't shown it. Obviously, Bruce Irvin was brought back to be able to provide that. He's out for the year. Right. It, unless you see Jerron Reed and Puna Ford being able to bully our guards, which is pretty easy. Uh, I just, I think Cousins will have enough time where it'll be a real shootout. Well, and it might be, it might not be Cousins that you're relying on in this game, because I think back to that last game between the Seahawks and the Vikings, and it felt like Dalvin Cook was having a solid game. And I, if I remember right, that's the game that he went out due to injury. And so having a healthy Dalvin Cook in this game, what does that mean for the Vikings offense? It means everything for this offense that the, the offensive line is subpar in the interior. Garrett Bradbury, a first round pick last year has really shown signs of improvement, which has been fantastic to see, but our guards are terrible. Drew Samia is our starting right guard. He is the 763rd ranked PFF player out of 763 players that have played offensive snaps. That's not good. So Dalvin is, his footwork and being able to create in the hole and make his own path and being able to avoid tacklers, break tackles and his explosiveness when he finds a hole and a seam is really vital to the success of this offense. Plus it makes play action that much more lethal when you know, Dalvin cook is having a successful game. Yeah. And I saw some crazy stat with Kirk cousins this year about when he goes play action he has a quarterback rating of like 130, which is, you know, Russell Wilson's quarterback rating this year. So if the Vikings are doing well enough in the run game that play action is working and Cousins can, you know, be on schedule. And if if that's his quarterback rating in those situations, that would concern me, especially with the Seahawks defense inability to get a pass rush. 100 percent, man. 100 percent. Well, the guys that he's throwing to this year, you've mentioned no Stefan Diggs, but Justin Jefferson, holy smokes, he's having a, pa- a good past couple of games. Oh, Je- Justin Jefferson reminded me a little bit of Stefan Diggs coming out. They did a lot of the same things. Uh, great at high pointing the ball, great body control in the air, very silky smooth route runners. But you really couldn't expect Justin Jefferson to come in and truly replace Stefan Diggs off the bat. Well, uh, Kirk Cousins has finally gained some confidence in what Justin Jefferson can do. And it's shown the last two weeks, and Jefferson has looked like a bona fide number one receiver in the National Football League. Obviously, we're looking at a small sample size, but if Jefferson continues this trajectory, it's a home run pick. And I thank the Eagles for not taking him, which I still can't believe they did. (laughs) I was surprised Jefferson made it past like 18, let alone getting to 22. So the fact that he made it to 22, I thought was a miracle. 
and the Vikings are, are reaping the benefits. So his pairing with Adam Thielen uh, so far seems to be working out well then. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Thielen does a lot better when he's able to line up in the slot. Obviously, he can play on the outside, but he thrives being able to take advantage of those slot corners and being able to utilize his route running skill set from sideline to sideline rather than uh, taking over just one third of the field. Who are some of the names on offense who Seahawks fans might not be familiar with that that may we may get a little surprise from coming up in this game? Uh, there are two guys that are on my radar. One of them is slot receiver Chad Beebe, who Vikings fans just don't understand why they won't quit him because uh, he's always hurt. Mm. But uh, he's the son of a uh, former Buffalo Bill and Green Bay Packer receiver Don Beebe, right. who most who most people would remember because he stripped Leon Lett at the goal line <laughs> in the Super Bowl. Uh, but he was a really good special teams guy and a very solid number three receiver for his career. And BB's kind of the same way. He's a slot specialist. Uh, he's very, very quick in and out of routes. And he's a guy who I could see doing some damage, especially if uh, uh, the Vikings utilize more of a quick passing game. And the other guy is Irv Smith Jr. Second round pick out of Alabama last year. Move tight end. Really hasn't been featured much at all this year. He's going to have a breakout game at some point because the Vikings are really big fans of him. Kubiak loves tight ends. It's only a matter of time before Irv Smith Jr. becomes a focal point of this offense. And maybe he gets a couple matchups against like rookie Jordan Brooks on like a third down where they take advantage of it. It That is going to be something to watch. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to have Brooks back in time for this game. So it, uh, having Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright at linebacker, there's not a lot of... I, we'd like to see more Shaquem Griffin out on the field, but uh, it, they don't seem to want to put him on the field until late in games. And Cody Barton was the one out there last week against Gesicki. But, uh, well, I don't think it was Barton who, who lined up against Gesicki, but uh, they were able to shut down Mike Gesicki and the Dolphins last week. So that was a positive for me going into that game, just having that concern that the Seahawks might get uh, torn up by uh, by the tight end. Yeah, and... Gasicki right now is a better player than Irv Smith Jr. Although Smith Jr. is going to be moved around a lot more where Gasicki plays a little more in line. So that could create some matchup issues there. But if you were able to stop Gasicki, then maybe it's not going to be something you need to worry about too much. All right, Tyler. Well, I do want to get a prediction for you coming up, but I want to have a little fun first. I want you to rank the greatest players to ever put on a Seahawks uniform. And there's six guys that I'm thinking of. Carl Eller, we'll throw him in there. John Randall, Steve Hutchinson, Warren Moon. You can kind of see where I'm going with this. Uh, Kevin mm -hmm. Williams and Nate Burleson. So uh, the top six guys, greatest Seahawks to put on that uniform. All right. Now, how do you want me to rank this? Do you want me to rank them as overall players or do you want me to rank them as Seahawks? You can rank them however you want, Tyler. <laughs> All right. Well, for me, number one is probably going to end up being Carl Eller. Eller was a fan fantastic player for years and just excellent. I actually didn't know he played for the Seahawks. <laughs> it was, it was his final today. year. So if you're, if you're putting him as great as Seahawks, it may be on the bottom, but yes, uh, definitely hall of fame worthy, uh, yeah. <laughs> defensive lineman. Oh yeah. Um, number two is probably going to be Warren moon. Uh, my favorite football player of all time, e even in Seattle. Cause he played in Seattle when he was in, in his, uh, late thirties, early forties. Right. And he was putting up some good numbers <laughs> and I, I remember him being really good there. Um, three would be Steve Hutchinson, one of the best guards I've ever seen. 
and that poison pill that the Vikings used to get Steve Hutchinson over here. And then you countered with Nate Burleson really hurt my soul because <laughs> Nate Burleson's always been my guy. I had a trivia question for you. I think a lot of people remember, a lot of Seahawks fans especially, remember the poison pill contract for Steve Hutchinson to go to the Vikings. But I think some people overlook the the memory of how they got Nate Burleson to Seattle by just doing the exact same thing that the Vikings did to us. But uh, yeah, maybe just not as much of an impact player. But I love Nate Burleson. I think he's still, he might be one of the top punt return leaders for the Seahawks franchise to this day. Oh, I wouldn't doubt it. Burleson was fantastic at the University of Nevada. His senior year, he caught like 137 passes, which is just astounding. And then when Moss got hurt in that 04 season, which is the famous Moss Moon, Burleson uh, racked up over 1,000 yards and became Culpepper's number one guy. So he, he was always a favorite of mine. So John Randall still on the board, Kevin Williams and Nate Burleson uh, in your top six here. Well, we're going to go John Randall next. Probably the best motor guy I think I've ever seen at the defensive tackle position. Yeah. Just undersized. And a lot of people don't realize this. He had like 130 sacks playing that three technique under tackle. And then Kevin Williams, who should be a Hall of Famer, and I hope he gets there. Incredibly underrated and a stout pass rusher for his entire career. And then Nate Burleson's last, but... He's a lot higher in my heart. And that's why I added him to the list. I, I think, you know, everybody else on this list is a Hall of Famer or should be in the case of Kevin Williams. And uh, I yeah, I don't know why he's not there. He was like an eight time all pro or something crazy like that, too. So it, it's it's weird that he's not in there. So maybe this is Kevin Williams year. He flew in under the radar. He was played in Minnesota, which doesn't get a lot of national attention. And the Williams wall with Pat Williams. Pat Williams got a lot of that publicity because he was a lot more boisterous. Mm. He had a much bigger personality where Kevin Williams is a little more reserved and he just didn't get a lot of that extra publicity that he should have. It is interesting though, just the history between the players of this team. And it seemed like, you know, once Percy Harvin signed, there were just so many, there's like a pipeline of players that were with the Vikings that came to the Seahawks eventually. But you can kind of see by this, by this list of names, that it's it's kind of been there since the the well late 70s with Carl Eller. Oh yeah. We even saw that like in the, a lot of the earlier 2000s just like like role players like Corn Robinson came over from Seattle right. to Minnesota. Sidney Rice went from Minnesota to Seattle. Like there are so many names that have just uh, been interchangeable. Um you remember special teams ace Heath Farwell, the backup linebacker. Oh yeah. We drafted him. <laughs> Yeah, like oh, he was one of the he was a great special teamer for the Seahawks. Oh yeah, I was pissed when he got him. <laughs> he was fantastic for us and it it's kind of cool to see like that that little pipeline and it's it's a way that the, our teams are always being interconnected and I just hope for once we can win. It could be this week and coming up on Sunday night football. How do you see this game going, Tyler? I think it's going to be a shootout. Cousins is going to come ready to play. He's growing in confidence with this group of receivers every day. Dalvin Cook is going to have to have a good game. These corners are steadily improving, and I think they'll give up less big plays. I just don't think it'll be enough. Russell Wilson's playing out of his mind. I was really late on the Russell Wilson's great train. I thought he was a little overrated for probably his first four or five years. Mm. I'm here to admit I was wrong. He's incredible. 
probably the best quarterback in football, even above Mahomes. And I just think it'll be too much. Probably going like Seattle 38, Minnesota 27. Mm, it does seem like that shootout type of game. I feel like we saw a similar matchup with the Cowboys just a couple weeks back in uh, just similarly how these two teams are put together with the Vikings and, and the Cowboys and considering the injuries. And so it uh, it could be one of those shootouts that just comes down again, once again, to the fourth quarter late in the game and maybe dependent on what the Seahawks defense can do. So, Tyler, really appreciate you coming on the show, breaking this game down coming up. If people want to find you on social media, if they want to check out your work, where should they go? They can go right to my Twitter handle is at uh, the real Forno. I, I just released an article. We were talking about the Vikings tanking earlier. I just wrote an article on kind of what a full rebuild would look like that dropped yesterday on climbing the pocket. And I do all kinds of stuff with uh, blue chip scouting. I've been doing a lot of scouting work. And then I've got a, another series on climbing the pocket called Skull Search, where I highlight potential first round picks for the Vikings. And I, I should have a new piece coming out next week. Really appreciate you being on the show, Tyler. And I'll be looking for you then come after the season as we go into the combine and leading up to the NFL draft. Hey, I appreciate having me on. Looking forward to it, man. A big thanks to Tyler for coming on. Fun chat, especially talking about some of those former Seahawks players who spent most of their career with the Vikings and also talking about this matchup on Sunday night. Man, if the Vikings lose this game, the idea that Minnesota fans could be open to the idea of them shopping Kirk Cousins to the San Francisco 49ers, that's going to be something to watch. Been watching the injury report for these two teams on Friday, and it looks like Jamal Adams is, in fact, listed as out for this game, but he's the only one. The Seahawks have five players listed as questionable in this game, starting with safety Lano Hill. Jordan Brooks listed as questionable, although Pete Carroll did say it's going to be tough for Brooks to be back in time for Sunday's game, so that could be a game-time decision for Jordan Brooks. Carlos Hyde, Mike Upati, and Quentin Dunbar rounding out the list of players who are questionable. For the Vikings, the only player listed as out is K.J. Osborne, their wide receiver, who also does their kick returns and punt returns. And then Chris Boyd and Holton Hill listed as questionable for the Vikings. If you're looking for more game previews leading up to the game on Sunday night, Mookie Alexander has five questions and five answers from the Daily Norseman. Alistair Corp has a look at the Seahawks run defense going up against Dalvin Cook on Sunday. And if you haven't subscribed to the show, do so sbnation.com slash NFL podcasts. And coming up Sunday night, you're going to want to tune in Mookie Alexander and John Morgan set to come on for the post game reaction following that game. So tune in, check that out. And until then, go Hawks. Hawks.